Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Um, I want to begin. We've got a lot to cover this morning. Grab your notes, your Bible, your journal, however it is you do this space. We're in week two, week two of a series, uh, a unique series we've got going on in uh, November, and we're just calling it Coming to Your House. Say that with me, Coming to Your House. And uh, we are looking at the hospitality of God expressed to us in Jesus. And uh, we are, we are um, taking a, an important story in the Bible and we're kind of holding it up to the light and just twisting it around like a fine jewel and pulling truth out of it. We're doing something we've never done, I don't think in the history of our church, we are looking at one verse of scripture for an entire month. Come on, y'all. So the challenge is that, you know, we're going to be bringing it. There's going to be fresh fruit uh, every weekend when we're looking at it together. And that's what we've been doing. We uh, are using as a theme verse a little statement that Jesus makes in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where Jesus says this in Revelation 3.20. He says, here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Just sort of emblematic, if you will, about the hospitality of Jesus. Now, that's one of the first verses I learned as a follower of Christ. And uh, there's some exciting uh, uh, truth within that. And I know that there's also an older picture that maybe you've seen before of this. I want to show you. Anybody ever seen this picture before, right? Or, or one like it. It's the picture of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Somebody told me after the first service, and you'll notice that the doorknob is on the inside, not on the outside. So you got to open the door and let him in. I, how many of you knew that? I did not know that. I could tell you're incredibly impressed by that. So anyhow, here we are. And so can you imagine, I mean, here we are, we're almost at Thanksgiving. Can you imagine that around Thanksgiving, you hear a knock on the door, you open the door, and Jesus is standing at your door to come in? Come on. For how many of y'all, that would be an exciting thing? How many of y'all might have a little anxiety about that? Like, vacuum, close the closet door. You know, right, there's just a little anxiety about that. I told the story last week when I was on the Lake Worth campus. I said, when I was growing up, uh, my mom came home and announced to us one day, you know, I'm in the middle of three sons, and she said, Dad, tonight when he gets home from work, he's bringing a big wheel home. And um, I think what she meant to say back then was the phrase big wig. How many of you ever heard big wig, like somebody important? And my dad literally was going to bring his, I think it was his boss's boss home to dinner. He was in the area. But she didn't say big wig. She said big wheel. And, and we remember this in my family because when my, when my little brother heard that, he thought my, mom, my dad was bringing this home. <laughs> That's what was coming home. And so there's all this excitement. And my older brother and I were kind of looking at like, he's pretty excited about meeting my dad's boss's boss. It's kind of weird. And then he goes running down the driveway when my dad pulls into the you know, into the driveway expecting that, and there was this older white dude that got out of the car. <laughs> it was like this incredibly discouraging moment. And uh, we look back on that, that's one of the, how many of y'all have stories that you tell about your family? That's just like one of the stories that I remember. And um, we missed all, my brother missed all the nuance. 
He, he missed the idea that, you know, big wheel and big wig, that was kind of different. And he missed all the context clues. Like my mom that afternoon had, had put out on the table, she took the china out and put it on the table. And right, like how many of y'all, like you had china, but you never saw the china, <laughs> right? Like we grew up in a house, we weren't even allowed in the same room as the china when I was growing up. And then my mom not only put the china out, but she put out a butter dish, we had never seen a butter dish before, like this strange little dish with a lid on it. We didn't know what that was. When we were growing up, we had, um, how many of y'all remember the country crock? Remember that? Like it was a five gallon bucket of stuff. And I, 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 I literally think my, my parents, they bought one of those. I had it my entire high school career. It was the same thing. It lasted that long. There was stuff in there. Jimmy Hoffa was in there, <laughs> kind of weird stuff, and we missed all the context clues. So imagine Jesus coming to your house. How would we feel about that? And so what we're doing uh, in this series is we're, we're looking at a story that is sort of, um, that identifies that kind of tradition, that we have a God who comes to us. And uh, we are looking at the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible and it's in Luke chapter 19, the only gospel that has it. And uh, we have a tradition, we have a growing tradition in our church when we're learning and receiving from God's word, we stand in honor. So here's what I want you to do. Let's stand. I want to read this story. And uh, when I get through, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another tradition. Some traditions will do this. When the, when the reader gets through reading, he goes, the word of God for the people of God. And everybody responds and they go, thanks be to God. And so we're going to do that today, okay, because we're here for God's opinion. Here it is, Zacchaeus 19. It says, when Jesus uh, entered Jericho and was passing through, there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, uh, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look, Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, would you hear our prayer that we might be receivers of what you would have for us today. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come and custom tailor this word that it might have life and breath in our souls so that we might know you better and serve you in a way that brings you honor and helps people. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Now, I know that Pastor Trevor mentioned to you guys last week um, about the little song we sing that usually accompanied this, uh, this story, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, all right. And uh, he shared that because I told a story that when my girls were very young 
And uh, we were serving at a church. It was the first church I served at uh, as a senior pastor. It was a little county seat church in uh, rural North Florida, one county east of Tallahassee called Monticello. How many of you all have ever been to Monticello? And it's, it's, the town is mirrored after Monticello, but you say Monticello. You don't say Monticello. And uh, we were serving up there, and it was a wonderful town, wonderful people, wonderful church in many ways. I think it grew me as a pastor. Um, good churches produce good pastors. And so I've, I learned so much there. They were patient with me. But if we wanted to, living there in Monticello, if we wanted to take the girls' clothes shopping, we had to go to Tallahassee. If we wanted to go to Publix, we had to go to Tallahassee. And so we would drive down State Road 90, and it was filled with all these, you know, crepe myrtles all the way down. It was this beautiful little drive. And Beth, when the girls were little, she bought all these cassette tapes with uh, little stories on them, little songs, little memory verses. In fact, um, I, I brought a cassette tape if you've never seen one. This is what they look like, and after church, I'll let you touch it if you want to. <laughs> get in line. And um, at any rate, um, we would sing these songs. I remember a song that went, the B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Uh, there was another song the girls loved to sing called, um, I'm going to get this right, God's still working on me to make me what I am to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And I, I remember that. And we sang, we sang this Zacchaeus song. For some reason, I think we have taken some stories that are in the Bible. And for a reason that I don't necessarily think is altogether the best reason we have relegated certain stories to they're, they're for children. And so this is one we take, Zacchaeus. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. We, we, we tend to teach that in the rooms that are on the other sides of these walls, maybe not in this room. Uh, 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 you know, or maybe like a, uh, another one is Daniel in the lion's den. That tends to be one. Or David and Goliath sometimes. In fact, a few years ago, I can recommend a book to you Malcolm Gladwell wrote a profound book entitled David and Goliath that is just super fascinating. He takes this whole biblical story and unpacks it in a way that he pulls some of the truth of that story up into our adulthood. And when we think of the story of Zacchaeus, that's really what I want to do. I want to, and I told the teaching team, I want to take all month long and I want to pull the story of Zacchaeus up into our adulthood and have us consider just now what it might say to us, not as boys and girls, but as men and women. And there's a lot that's in this story. And if you were with us last week, Pastor Trevor told us, first of all, uh, about the main character in the story, which of course is Zacchaeus. And we learned some interesting things about Zacchaeus. And uh, in fact, I like to think of, when I think of Zacchaeus and I'm looking at it as an adult, I think of, first of all, we get to meet Zacchaeus in his public self or sometimes in his real self. And, and I want you to think with me for, uh, around this for a moment. This is the stuff about Zacchaeus. He was, he was willing to allow people to know about himself. Right, We all have things about ourselves that 
we're okay with others knowing. And we learned some stuff about Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was, um, he was a tax collector. And that is a particular thing that we would understand and need to know about that. Tax collectors in biblical times were not um, really honored for their profession. Most of them were dishonest in their profession, and here's why. They were, they were, they were set up by Rome. They worked for Rome, but they taxed their own people, normally the Jewish race. And so they were not thought of in high esteem. Many didn't have high integrity. And we learn this about Zacchaeus. That not only was um, Zacchaeus a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. So he was the tax collector of tax collectors. This is one of the things that we learn about him. We learn he was wealthy. And probably we're learning that he was wealthy means that he was doing exactly like I just mentioned, that if you read any historical narratives around biblical times, this is what you learn. They were often lifting money off the top for themselves. The other interesting thing that we learn about Zacchaeus, however, is that Zacchaeus was short. He was a wee little man. I had a good friend of mine, Patrick, Uh, my friend who said this, imagine Jesus coming to your house, you have a great conversation, you give away half your money, you make amends, God blesses you, and then you're immortalized in one of the catchiest songs in human history as a wee little man, (laughs) right? And uh, But there's more to that than we learned last week with Pastor Trevor kind of teed it up. And that's where I want to point out what I believe is the second character in this story, and we're going to look at it as adults. It's not just Zacchaeus. I think the second character is actually the tree. And the tree represents, I think in many ways, what I would say is our false self. It is the part of Zacchaeus that he wasn't willing for everybody to see. And we all have that spot. We all have parts about who we are that we don't really want everybody to know about. Sometimes as a pastor, uh, I get invited to tables where there's, you know, a lot of challenge. Sometimes there's a lot of difficulty. Uh, Sometimes pastors are invited in when things are not working particularly well. It's not uncommon for me to be in a conversation with people and sometimes they'll say, hey, I want to I wanna say something to you, but I'm afraid if I tell you this about me, it's going to change your opinion of me in some way. And I always remind them that, um, you know, I, I, I've just come to believe the ground is level at the cross, right? We're all sinners saved by grace. And um, when I look at Zacchaeus and the tree, here's what I think about. What if the tree not only represents the place where um, Zacchaeus climbed up into so that he could see Jesus, but what if just for a moment we might consider that the tree might also have been the place that he climbed up into to not only maybe retreat from Jesus in a way, or, or even this, to manage his understanding of how he might be or might not be received. Because I think this is going on. 
one of the things that we have to deal with sometimes are these things that we know about ourselves, these infections that we catch sometimes uh, through our culture or through our society or the normal ebb and flow, give and take, banging and banging of life upon life. I remember um, one time I was talking recently uh, with my wife, and we were just reflecting over an encounter that we had with uh, a person and, and a story in which they were telling us some things about their life and just asking us to pray for them. And I remember doing that, and, and, and I can remember when this person unburdened some of the stuff that she wanted to say to us, um, she had begun to believe a lie about herself that I don't think really was true. But here's what I would remind everybody in the room. We have an enemy, and the enemy tells lies. And the worst kinds of lies the enemy tells are the lies that have a bit of truth in them. Isn't that what happened in Genesis 3? Where God creates this perfect place to have community with, with his people and and then one day, you know, he had one rule in, in the garden that they would not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And suddenly they realize that they're naked. And the Bible tells us this, I think, in one of the most melodramatic moments of all of Holy Scripture, that God comes down in the cool of the day to be with his creation, and he cannot find them for their hiding. And he calls out to them, Adam! Adam, where are you? And suddenly Adam comes out and he says, Lord, we're here, but we're hiding because we're naked. And God says to them, who told you you were naked? And the Bible goes on to say that they, they sewed fig leaves together. And I think, to be honest, We've been sowing fig leaves and climbing in trees ever since. When I was in seminary, I had a professor that told me that as a pastor, he said, you, you will deal all your ministry with a, a particular subset of issues that inflict travesty and tragedy upon the human soul. And he said, for me, they always begin with M. He said, sometimes they're memories that we have. And some of us are here this morning or listening online, and you have a memory of something that was a very dark and broken place for you, and, and images and ideas are formed there. The false self is formed there. Some of us have um, old mottos that have been inflicted on us by someone else. When I was younger, um, I had some degree of skill in sports when I was younger. And I think of it as a way, uh, when I played sports, it was a way with um, uh, parents with three sons. It was a way that I can enjoy my parents' attention just given to me, you know? And so I found some, some success in that. And I remember playing baseball. I have this memory I was talking to Beth about recently where um, I had, we had um, 
it was just before we moved and I started the ninth grade. I was in ninth grade in high school. I was playing on the baseball team and we had a new coach. And uh, it was the first time in ninth grade you were able to have um, steel cleats. So these were real cleats. These were not fake ones. These were the real things. And I was so proud of these cleats. I felt like a major league baseball player. And uh, we were out one day running and the coach um, who was uh, coaching, he he did not use positive affirmation to help you get better, can I say. And I was running, and I can remember him telling, yelling at me in front of everybody, and he said, Locke, you're running slow. You're slow. You're always going to be slow. And as I ran by him, he had a mouthful of tobacco, and he spit on my new shoes. I'm not making this up. And in that moment, what, what happened for me in that moment is I internalized that I'm slow. And I've always thought of that. So when I run, I do my best, but I'm slow. When I do this, I'm slow. I have another friend of mine who, who his teeth came out just a little bit further maybe than he thought they should. And uh, he's a wonderful person, and he tells the story that one day he's with his wife, and his wife said, you know, sweetheart, you, you, are, um, you are a loving person. You're a fun person. But she said, you never smile. Why don't you smile? And he, and he confessed to her there. He said, because when I was young, I was told that my teeth stuck out. And so even to this day as an adult, as an accomplished, successful adult, he struggles to smile. Sometimes we buy these things that get planted in our soul. I know one author who says it this way, um, when our kids are young, we teach them not to lie, which is good. But we should also teach them not to believe a lie. And some of us are here, and we've bought some lies, and we believe some lies. And, and this is what makes this, in many ways, such a powerful image, because the tree, I think, in so many ways... I mean, it does. It represents the place that he could get up and look over and see Jesus. But I see in it too, this space where he could maybe manage that encounter with the Lord in such a way so that he won't yet again be disappointed. We learned that he was short. Some scholars suggest that he was short because, and this is the term that is used today, he was actually a dwarf. And that would have made him unable, according to the book of Leviticus, to enter into the temple. So here is a man who was a cast off from his society and a supposed cast off even from God. Which makes, I think, the last character in the story so incredibly powerful, which of course... It's Jesus. And here's what makes this so beautiful. Jesus, when he sees Zacchaeus, sees all of him. 
He sees all of the parts of his life that Zacchaeus is willing for people to see. And he sees all of the pieces of his life that Zacchaeus held in secret. And he still invited Zacchaeus to come down so that he could come to his house on that day. And I love what it says in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Someone say amen to that. Here's the interesting thing about this verse. The word salvation in the original Greek language also can be translated healed. So Jesus said to him, today healing has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham and the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus sees all of you and he welcomes you and he loves you and he accepts you. Brendan Manning, who was a priest, but prior to being a priest, spent decades as an alcoholic. And finally, in a moment of sobriety, saw a window open and thank God he climbed through it and he found healing. And in one of his books, Abba's Child, I believe it is, he writes this profound statement. He said, one of the, one of the saddest contradictions of the American church, he writes, is the number of people who say they follow Christ who silently hate themselves. Jesus sees you. He loves you. And he invites you to love yourself too. So that's what he's done. That's what he's doing. Will you let him do it to the uttermost? Will you let him have all of you? Will you open up the caverns and the pieces and the places that still yet in your life maybe you're disjointed and don't fit together? the difficult memories you have, the mottos somebody's given you, the moral things where you made a mistake and we let him have it all because here's what you're going to find on the other side of that. You're not going to find judgment. You're going to find grace find healing because the Bible teaches us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ so you have no reason not to let him have it all Lord I pray over this body I pray over this church and I ask oh God that you would you know do what the old 
preacher a couple generations ago said that you would not only save us, but you would save us to the uttermost. You would have all of us, Lord God, so that we might, as it were, become a shining city on a hill, a light that is not under a bushel, but that the whole world might see what you're doing and wanting to do in the lives of every human heart that lets you have everything. This we pray in the name of Jesus to your glory and your glory alone. And everybody said, amen. Go in his mercy and in his grace. We'll see you next weekend.